a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week in this podcast, we delve into something that is transpiring somewhere in the world, some big global dominant country or a little corner where we don't really know much about what's going on there. But we do choose something that is topical, something of interest, and then break it down for you. Dr. Keith Souter um, has been telling these stories for decades in Australian media and explaining to them, you know, explaining to people what they mean. And that's what I mean by breaking it down. Just make it really easy. Because some of these these situations as well are quite complex by nature, Keith. So it does require some level of background as well to sort of understand the context for a lot of people, i.e. me. My name's Kate. We've worked together for many years. Dr. Keith always uh, also very um, highly educated in this area, a couple of PhDs in international relations. So without further ado, let's jump into this one. The miserable middle class. Now that uh, is a lot of Australians. <laughs> um <laughs> In general, just because we are such a wealthy country, we've got a very big middle class, don't we? So why is the general middle class of the entire world, and that's what you are talking mm. about actually, so affected by globalisation, by everything that is going on? It's really impacted them very hard. Very big. So um, I've been reading a book by Jeff Rubin called The Expendables, How the Middle Class Got Screwed by Globalisation, and it's just been made available in Australia through Scribe Publishers. It's a brilliant book. It's generated a lot of debate. Jeff Rubin himself is an economist who, like me, was a great supporter of globalisation and we're now beginning to develop our doubts and we're beginning to make polite remarks about Donald Trump or Senator Sanders, right? So Trump may have got it right or Sanders. depends on which end of the spectrum you want to be on. So the argument essentially is that we have gone through this period of what's called globalization. The essence of globalization is the erosion of the significance of national boundaries. So we're living in a world that was created in the year 1648 from an international lawyer's point of view, right? So the argument with, with globalization is that we see the erosion of national boundaries and we see a power leaving national governments, which we invented in 1648, and the power goes to other sources. <clears throat> now, in my writing on globalisation, I've talked about the rise of international organisations like the UN, European Union, etc. Also, the rise of transnational corporations, and then also power going down to grassroots organisations like Amnesty International, uh, Friends of the Earth, etc., women's movement, peace groups, etc. So that's my approach to globalisation. Now, this guy Jeff Rubin, who's an economist in Canada, worked for one of the big banks over there. Jeff Rubin uh, is focusing on one slice of globalisation, which is economic globalisation. Most people, when they think of globalisation, just think in economic terms. I try to throw in the other, the broader, bigger international law picture. So I'm just going to deal with one slice of the globalisation that I've covered over the years. Like Rubin, I was a supporter of globalisation. In the sense that uh, economists for 200 years have argued that what we now call globalisation is the best way to get economic growth. So 200 years ago, well, it's still to this day, you've got some people who say you should only consume what you produce in your own country. So you just specialise in your own affairs. Globalisation, by contrast, means that 
we specialize in doing different things. The standard example, going back 200 years ago, was the British were producing, I think, wheat, and the Portuguese were producing wine. Now, the British climate is not really suitable for producing wine. So the argument was that Britain should export its foodstuff to import the wine from Portugal. That's the example from 200 years ago. In other words, that countries get to specialise in what they're good at doing. If you think about it, that's how we live our lives. I um, specialise in doing one set of things. I don't do others. And I outsource a lot of that work to other people. So the idea of economic globalisation, therefore, is that countries will specialise in what they're best at doing and they will then import from their own produce. They will then be able to import stuff that they they are not able themselves to produce. So that's the theory of economic globalisation, and that has increased economic growth. There's no doubt at all about that. Globalisation, which we've seen particularly since World War II, that's 1945, globalisation has dramatically increased the wealth of the world. That's the good news. The downside, which is what's forced the economist Jeff Rubin and myself to rethink our evangelism for globalisation, is that simply the middle class are getting screwed. In other words, that we're seeing in Western developed societies a reduction of wealth of that middle class. So that the, the argument was that he makes, the the best example of what he says is that if you go back to that golden period, which is the 50s, 60s and 70s, right? So he and I are both baby boomers. So we drew the first prize in the lottery of life. We have lived in the best possible time in which to be alive. So that was a period in which there were a lot of durable consumer goods like cars, washing machines, etc. And they were produced in your own country. So the workers who produce them could afford to buy them. Now, because of globalisation, those durable consumer goods, the automobiles, mobile phones, etc., are made overseas. And so the, the jobs, the middle-class jobs in the factories have now gone. Manufacturing has declined in the United States, as it has in the UK and, um, and, and in Australia and other Western countries. 1986 is said to be the first country, first time that the United Kingdom actually had to import more goods than it exported. And remember, it started the Industrial Revolution in 1750, just over 200 years ago. It started the Industrial Revolution, and now it's no longer a major manufacturer. So those jobs have gone. And so where the jobs are now appearing is in the service sector. Because you obviously, you, it's, you can't outsource a haircut. It's, you've got to turn up in the barber's shop to have the hair done, right? But those good, well-paying jobs are disappearing. And that's why you've got the disappearing middle class. So the world into which I was born, or Jeff Rubin in Canada, that world is disappearing. Those middle class jobs, the factory jobs, a blue-collar worker could afford to raise a family on one salary, it wasn't necessary for the wife to go to work, etc. That era has now gone. And that's why we've got this disappearing middle class and why you've also got in the United States traditional blue-collar Democrats who, who would normally always support the Democrats are voting for people like Trump. 
because Trump is talking about the loss of jobs. Or they would have voted for Senator Sanders if the Democrat Party had allowed him to be the candidate. So you've got two political candidates from either extreme who are talking about the downsides of economic globalisation, the loss of jobs. Obviously, if you're living in China or India, you're doing very well. You know, we talk about this way in which China has lifted something like 400 million people out of poverty. That's one of the great achievements of the 20th century. That That's certainly a big achievement. And if you're a shareholder in the United States or Canada or Australia, you're feeling very happy as well because your company, you don't, you don't care where the things get made. You just care about the return on your investments. So Apple has exported jobs overseas. The things get made cheaply overseas, much more cheaply than they could be in the United States. Things continue to be sold. You continue to get your shareholder returns. The problem is your kid's not going to get a good job. That's the downside of this globalization. You're listening to Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about the miserable middle class, and that is because it's shrinking and it feels like it's under attack middle class around the world, by the way, because I guess it's just a big shift in the world, Keith, like globalisation, but it's it's all sorts of facets as we're delving into today, which are meaning that people are feeling disaffected and not um, able to provide like they used to, and the lifestyle's changing as well. It is indeed. So this is a book by Jeff Rubin called The Expendables, How the Middle Class Got Screwed by Globalisation. And it helps to explain the Brexit vote, for example. Here you have areas of England which are traditional Labour voters that decided to support a conservative point of view, which was leaving the European Union. Again, it was a revolt by blue-collar workers, people who have lost their jobs. And so... a good job goes, say, in the coal mining industry and they say, well, you could always train to be a barista and you can make cups of coffee. True, but you don't make the same level of income. So here in Australia, for example, in the mining sector, you get a six-figure salary if you're in mining. One of the big companies in WA a few years ago used to boast that they would employ people on a four-year contract and uh, on their fourth year you would be paid an entire year's salary as a bonus for being a good employee. So the, these are the good jobs, but, of course, increasingly they're being mechanised. And what we're seeing now in factories is that it's just the loss of, of those factories, the deindustrialization. Now, uh, this is a brilliant book. It's been very controversial. You know, Jeff Rubin is sort of coming out against globalisation, a bit like the Pope suddenly criticising Catholicism or something. Is it's created a huge stir in the United States about an economist who's saying we've got it wrong. And if you think back to, say, the admission of China into the World Trade Organization, we made a major mistake. I supported that move. came from Bill Clinton, and the argument from Bill Clinton was that you get China into the World Trade Organization and uh, it will then help the democratic process within China to become a more liberal society. hasn't worked out. It's, it's remained an authoritarian society, but it has made extra money as a result of being in the World Trade Organization, where it is classed as a developing country. I, I know I'm beginning to sound like Donald Trump here. But that was one of <laughs> Trump's complaints about the World Trade Organization. So why, yeah, I was about to say, why does it treat it like that? Well, it was when it joined, but 
<laughs> it's now the second largest economy in the world. It's really ought got to have have a change to its status. So Clinton and a lot of the rest of us made a mistake by suggesting it'd be a good idea to have China in the World Trade Organization because it would bring on economic change. What it has done is actually destroy many of the jobs in our own countries. That's a sad reality. It's a very sad reality indeed, and that's what explains the rise of extremist movements on the left or the right. As I say, you know, you could either be supporting Trump or Senator Sanders. They're almost identical. The tragedy is that the Democrat Party is controlled by those big financial interests in the United States. Remember, these are companies that have no loyalty to their workers. All they're doing is having loyalty to making money. And if you make money by exporting jobs, fine. You're in the business of making money for your shareholders. You're not in the business of providing welfare to your local citizens or, for that matter, paying taxes. And so the Democrat Party is very much controlled by the big money on Wall Street um, and you've got big corporations in the United States like Facebook, Apple, Google, and, and the vice president now, Kamala Harris, used to be called the senator from Silicon Valley. So you're not going to get any major change. And that's the worry that I've got that, okay, Trump has gone, but not the conditions that created the, the um, situation for Trump. A happy nation does not elect a person like Donald Trump. No. But how is it so... How is it playing out here in Australia and how will it continue to play out, Keith? Well, luckily in Australia, we've got a reasonable safety net, although I've got to say we've still got the same dominant economic paradigm, which is that the poor have too much money and the rich have too little. So in the case of the poor, we beat up on the pensioners. Remember, we've got this big debate about whether we cut back on on the welfare payments we've been making because of the COVID crisis, right? So we beat up the pensioners and you have TV programs that show you know, welfare cheats and all that sort of stuff. So so the argument is the poor have got too much money and at the same time the argument is that the rich have got too, too little money, therefore we have to give them the money through tax cuts, which is exactly what we're doing. We're giving the rich tax cuts. Trump gave huge tax cuts to the very rich in the United States. And don't forget that those politicians in the United States are amongst that rich class. So they're giving themselves a tax cut when they voted for Trump's taxation reforms. So my worry um, is that are we seeing the beginning of uh, a reaction against this era of globalisation? Jeff Rubin makes the comment that this is actually the second wave of economic globalisation. The first ran from 1870. So 1870, you've got the unification of Germany, Germany emerging as a major industrial power, and also the United States recovering from the American Civil War, which ended five years earlier. So 1870, if you need to have a beginning date, runs through until 1914, which is the beginning of World War One. So that was a golden era of globalisation. You had Great Britain maintaining the system of globalisation. They had a common currency called the pound sterling. The City of London did a lot of the banking. The Royal Navy kept peace at sea. It was a golden era in which to have lived. I think, although I think if you're a poor person in Britain, it would have been pretty tough. That era ended with World War One, and then after World War One, that was 1918, all the way through until the end of World War Two, which is 1945. You've got this period of a reduced amount of international trade, reduced globalization, and greater domestic protection, etc. Then we get the second wave of globalisation that we're now going into, 
But Rubin asks the question, are we now coming to the end of this second wave of globalization? Is a reaction setting in against it? So in other words, what you're seeing are the election of, of extremist politicians, uh, movements such as the Brexit campaign, etc. Countries, even like Australia, talking about a resilient supply chain initiative. In other words, linking up with India, Japan, and Australia, bringing those three countries together and not relying so much on China. Remember, China is the factory of the world. You go back to that first period of globalization, Britain was the factory of the world. They invented the Industrial Revolution, right? So is this now a period when people are going to turn away from China and are going to be willing to pay more money for goods to be produced locally because it will enable people to be employed locally? So we could be on the verge of a new economic revolution. Especially if people want to put China back in their box for trying to exercise dominance around the world. Absolutely. So if you get a couple of countries that are willing to work together on that and change the conversation. Yeah. So we're, we're on the cusp of a major change that's coming about through economic globalisation. And this book by Jeff Rubin is well worth reading to get that sort of feel. for. If you are in the middle class... Your wages, or if you're in the United States or Canada, your wages have effectively not increased in the last 40 years. On the other hand, Jeff Beatsos is much richer today than he was a year ago. <laughs> God. So the rich are getting even richer and the middle class is stagnating and shrinking. Ruben says that it, the, the middle class is getting older and it's dying out because we baby boomers, we are the, the essence of the middle class and we're dying. And our kids and grandkids are not able to make it into the middle class. They're all now busy scrambling around delivering food items or whatever or driving cars for Uber. They're not accumulating wealth as we were able to do through nine to five regular jobs in well-paid positions. There's just not that confidence levels, are there? No. Security. That's exactly it. So this is a very new, difficult period into which we're moving. That's why I recommend people read this book by Jeff Rubin. So it's called The Expendables, How the Middle Class Got Screwed by Globalisation, available in Australia from Scribe. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 